Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Sometimes a single request can add a completely new ministry focus. Curious? We'll talk about that. This is the Engaging Mission Show, episode 179 with Keith Smith. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks for stopping by and joining us. We want to see the body of Christ fully connected and engaged in what God is doing. I'd also like to say a thank you to Scott McClelland, who is our engaging announcer. He has his own podcast at fxmissions.com that you may want to check out. This week, we're going to be talking about ministering to refugees and also ministering to global missionaries. We're going to have an update from a former guest, George Patterson. I think you're going to like that. And we're also going to hear about an app that can make a difference in our hearts and lives as we enter into God's plan to reach Muslims. Before we get into our interview today, I do want to say a welcome to Robert Pearl and Brett, who all recently liked our Facebook page. So thanks for doing that. And if you want to connect with us on Facebook, you can do that by visiting facebook.com slash engaging missions. With that, we're going to head right into this week's featured interview. All right, let's get started. Today, I am so happy to have Keith Smith with me. He was born and raised in London. He worked full-time and part-time in both some traditional churches and house churches. He spent time in Spain, the U.S., and now he's in Germany. And I can tell you from our chat before we started recording, this man can tell a story. So I'm really excited to bring him on. Keith, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Brian. It's really good to be here and good to share with you tonight. So as I'm thinking about your life and your ministry, I know that you are currently ministering to a large group of abandoned, hurting, disenfranchised missionaries, a lot of that kind of stuff. Can you maybe break it down to us in a sentence or two and share with us what it is that you're doing right now? Yeah, I would say our missionary divides into three areas. One is normal missionary work, I guess, for me, which is preaching the gospel, mostly in small and house churches. The second area is ministering to the millions of refugees that have arrived in Europe. And we're trying to reach out especially to unaccompanied children here in Germany. But we're also reaching out especially to Ethiopians here in Germany. And the third area, and this is what you mentioned, is working with missionaries and ministries who have become lost on the way. Let's let's perhaps Hmm. put it that way. They've hit a a, a block for some reason and they need help to get over that block. They have fantastic ministries. Some of them have lost funding. 
some of them have lost their connection with their home churches and uh, they just need help to move on. Others have had much more serious problems. But this now probably is more than half of my time. And mm. My wife and I spend a lot of time on the telephone, on the internet, and uh, just connecting with these people around the world. And literally around the world. We could do that ministry from anywhere in the world. We're doing it from Germany. Wow, that's amazing. So I, I think I'd like to kind of just pause here a little bit for a second as we talk about the ministry that you're doing, and in particular, we're, we're going to come back to this, but when we think about this ministry to these missionaries that are hurting, that are perhaps underfunded now or having some trouble, go, some things that maybe they've lost their way, what is it that led you into that ministry? Was that from a personal experience? What happened there? Yeah, not really from a personal experience. We were working, at least I was working in Spain, and I noticed that in Spain, in the north of Spain where I live, there were no more than 13 missionaries at that time. And yet in Europe, Spain is the most over-missionaried country that there is. Hmm. And yet most of the missionaries were living along the south coast or in Madrid in the holiday areas. And as I made contact with them, I found that most of them were not doing what they'd been sent there to do. Hmm. And they found it very difficult and embarrassing. Most of them were working with expatriates, not with Spanish people at all. And many of them did not have the equipment that they needed to be able to reach the Spanish people. They didn't know where to meet the Spanish and make contact with the Spanish. Hmm. And because some of them had Spanish cleaners in their houses or they went to eat in Spanish restaurants, they considered that they had contact with Spanish people. But the truth was they did not have day-to-day contact with ordinary Spanish people. And, and they became very unhappy with their role there. Hmm. It, it sounds very judgmental to say that, but... It, it's not at all. Uh, they were coming to me and saying, how can we make this better? And then I was asked by some mission sending organizations to help counsel missionaries who'd lost their way a bit or, or had marital problems or other problems whilst they were on the field here in Europe. And I began to realize that this is a huge problem. Because missionaries and ministries are supposed to be the people we go to when we have problems. Yeah. They're not supposed to have problems themselves. And so it was a terrible situation. You know, if you know that people come to you when they have problems, you're not going to admit freely that you have problems. Mm -hmm. We're not that open with one another, yet we must be. I, as a missionary, need friends that I could be totally open and transparent with and say, yes, I have problems too. But most of them didn't have that. And so this is how we started. It started with perhaps 10, 20 people in Spain. It soon spread to people 
in America, England, the Philippines, and other countries who were coming to us and saying, we don't know how to move on. Wow. Including, you know, some well-known ministry names. And, and, and it's difficult because, obviously, I have to keep confidentiality. Mm-hmm. So I can't say to you, oh, well, I'm helping <laughs> yeah. brother so-and-so or the reverend so-and-so because he's having marital problems. That would be a terrible thing for me to say. Right. So it's very difficult for me to share stories about what I do. Yeah. So most of my supporters, and there aren't very many, but the people who do support us, support us on trust because they know that I can't speak about what I do. Right. But it's a very necessary area of work. And we've been working in this now for certainly more than 10 years, about 12, 15 years. Okay. So, so as you're sharing that, one of the things that I'm thinking about is Scripture talks about how God takes us from glory to glory. And I, I'm of the opinion that he does that, that he'll use an experience to prepare us for something else. What was it about your life and your experience that prepared you to step into this kind of ministry? <laughs> I had success too early nah. in my Christian life. As a very, very young Christian, I, I got saved under the ministry of Arthur Blessed back in 1972, and the very next year, I found myself in a ministry situation where people were trying to promote me as a church elder. Mm. And I was a kid, I didn't know anything, you know? (laughs) I mean, can you imagine how dangerous that is? Yeah. And for a little while, I loved it. I thought, oh, yes, Keith, you've arrived. You know, you're, 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 you're somebody important now. <laughs> and I, I, I let my ego grow. And then one day the Lord said to me very, very clearly, Keith, that isn't you. You're to turn your back on that and walk away. Wow. And it was very humbling. It was very, very humbling. But... I did that. I turned my back. I walked away. Um, I went, was ministering to a, a little tiny house church in uh, North London. Mm. And, and, you know, instead of having meetings as I had before, where up to 2,000 people had come to every meeting, mm. I was suddenly having meetings with 12 people, 13 people in somebody's sitting room. Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel like big success. Right. But then I realized that I was having more effect on individuals. And they were having more effect in changing me from one degree of glory to another. Wow. That it was much more powerful. And ever since then, my main emphasis has been on what we call relational churches, Mm -hmm. house churches, or very small churches where we're allowed to argue with the preacher if we don't (laughs) agree with him. Um, We're allowed to ask questions. And Mm. because it's by asking questions, we grow. So so I'm thinking through that, and I would imagine that the transition from being an elder or a leader in a fairly large church to then 
for a while until there was a breakthrough, really kind of feeling like you're not doing anything. I would imagine that was a difficult transition. How did, how did God see you through that? Was there anything that you did as a, as a regular practice? What, what got you through that? Firstly, a lot of prayer. <laughs> yeah. But, but secondly, making genuine friendships. Mm. My emphasis ever since is about making genuine friendships. I was very fortunate as a young leader, I suppose, in London, I was able to make some very good friendships with influential people. I became a friend with the Russian Orthodox Archbishop, Metropolitan Anthony Blue. Wow. And, and he is a great teacher, or was when he was alive. He was a great teacher on prayer, and he taught me how to ground everything in prayer. Mm. I had a great friendship with an evangelist called Don Double, who was an evangelist in the southwest of England. And again, he taught me how to ground everything in prayer and keep everything as simple and basic as we could. Um, So rather than trying to make everything complicated, I was keeping everything as simple as I possibly could. Um, you know, when we talk to people on the street, they're not mm. interested in theology. Right. They want to know who is this Jesus Christ that you're going on about and what could he do for me? And it's a very simple to share that. Yeah. It's, it's complicated. You know, we get into theology, but it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Boring. I mean, yes, I studied theology, but it's boring to the person in the street. They don't want to know. They're not interested. Yeah, there, there's life in it for us because we've already that's, accepted it by faith, right? That's exactly right. Exactly right. So we've talked a little bit about that, that transition and also some of the things that God's taught you over the years. You're, you're now years and years later in ministry. What has yes. God been showing you or teaching you over the last few months or maybe the last year or so? Well, I... I would say he's taken me back to a period of my life. I was trained in psychology, and very early in my working life, I found myself working with children who'd been sexually abused, which is horrific, and you don't, you know, it's it's not a nice area to even think about. But it was there that I learned to really listen to very, very young children some of whom didn't even have enough language to explain to me what was going on in their lives. And in the past few years, I've been working with refugees, and most of them don't speak English or don't speak German. Um, And so I don't speak any Arabic. I can understand a little bit of some of the languages that they speak, but not very much. Mm. And so we have to find a way of communicating. And what it's led me to is a new understanding of what I did with the very little children 30, 40 years ago, which was listening to them, allowing them space to talk to me, even if I didn't fully understand everything. Mm. But then open the door for them to share their real needs with the people who have the authority to make things different. Mm. 
very quick example. I was talking to a, a young, about two years ago, his mother had been murdered in front of his eyes by prison guards. Uh, his father was still in prison. Uh, he had been so badly tortured he was sent to hospital and he was able to escape from the hospital and made his way by a long circuitous route to, to Germany. And now he's living here in Germany. It's very hard to communicate in German. He, he doesn't speak, even now, he doesn't speak very good German. Um, but he does speak a little bit of English, so we were able to communicate. And the problem he had was that he's suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you experience your mother, who was pregnant at the time, being murdered in front of you by prison guards, that's a stress that stays with you for a long time. Yeah. And so I recognized he needed some psychological help. And as a psychologist, I did what I could. But I realized it was more than I could offer him. Well, in Germany, although we have very good health insurance here, Refugees don't get health insurance because it has to be paid for, and refugees aren't rich enough to pay for mm. health insurance. So, and until they're accepted, the government won't pay it for it for them. So I had to help him express his need for treatment to the authorities so that he could eventually then find money to pay for him to receive the treatment he needed which was very expensive treatment in a clinic. But now, fortunately, through my intervention, he's been able to receive that treatment. Wow. And thank God for that. You know. Yeah. So you will hear me talk a lot about teddy bears, but what I did was I've, I've basically made a seminar of this so I can teach it to other people. And we called it seven, uh, Teddy Bears and Heroes. Teddy bears are basically people who are caring for other people, and heroes are people who can open those doors that other people can't open for themselves. And so what I'm doing around Germany now, and I had the opportunity to share some of this in Spain last month, um, we're sharing this message of teddy bears and heroes, how very ordinary people, the person sitting in the pew, the person in the chair next to you at a prayer meeting can really make effective change for people who themselves are voiceless, be they refugees or children or disabled people, but people who can't speak for themselves. But we can listen to them and help them and open the door for them to get the help that they need to be thoroughly grounded people. And sometimes that has to happen in the church too, because we're not always good at listening to <laughs> the needs of children or disabled people or refugees. Well, that's, that's great. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I think we'll focus some more on the teddy bears and we'll just keep right on going. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. In 2012, uh, we moved here from Northwest Mississippi. 
I was I was a pastor in a church out there and and God really just began to stir in our hearts to to go to a place that was we really had three dreams on the table. We want to go to a place that was unchurched. We want to go to a place that was big and we want to go to a place that was diverse. And so as we did the research, God led us to Toronto, Ontario here in Canada. And so we just stepped out on faith and 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 moved here in July of 2012. Didn't know anybody, just we just believed God wanted us to come here on the we plan on the east side of the city in a suburb called Pickering and God has just completely blown us away with what he's done. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we're with Keith Smith. He's been sharing a little bit about teddy bears, and we're going to kind of continue that conversation. So, Keith, why don't you go ahead and give us a background for what's going on and then share how we can either partner with you or begin taking steps ourselves. Okay, yeah. Let me, let me give a little bit of background to, to how we came by teddy bear therapy. In the 1980s, I was working with a social health organization, and part of my job was training residential social workers in counseling so that they could better help the disabled people that they were working with. Um, I was into a five-day training course for these social workers. And on the first day, I had a, a wonderful day teaching them all the wonderful skills of how they could counsel these disabled people. And I got back to my hotel room that night and the husband of one of my one of the members of the course telephoned me and said, Are you real? So I said, What do you mean? He said, Well, he said, My wife came home from your course today and she's trying to psychoanalyze the cat. Oh. And I thought, Oh dear, I've done something wrong here. This, you know, this isn't quite what we want. And so I prayed and prayed and prayed, and the Lord gave me some information and I went into the local Toys R Us uh, store, toy store, and bought the biggest teddy bear that they had. And the next morning when everybody came into the classroom, they found a huge teddy bear sat in the middle of the room and all of the chairs in a circle around the teddy bear. And I said, I can't teach you to be a psychologist. It takes about four to eight years to teach you how to be a psychologist. Hmm. I can't teach you how to become a counsellor. That takes four years. But I can teach you how to be a teddy bear. And so with this group, we, we spent really the next four days talking about what it meant to be a teddy bear, to be somebody who listens and doesn't give their opinions but hmm. listens to the needs of the other person. And really cares, really loves, you know, can give you a hug without it being sexual, can listen without answering back. And teddy bears do that all the time. (laughs) And that, over the course of the next three or four years, together with social workers and other psychologists and even a judge, that turned into what we now call teddy bear therapy. Although when we went to America, there were so many 
misunderstandings about teddy bear therapy. Yeah. I had the Pueblo Chieftain newspaper in Colorado published a whole center spread about me, and it said, English psychologist uses fluffy toys to give therapy to adults. <laughs> That's great. Um, and I do not use fluffy toys. <laughs> yeah. But so we called it focused compassion in America. But okay. really, that's what it is. It's focusing our compassion on other people. And every single one of us can do that. We can't all be wondrous, wonderful psychologists or counselors. Right. But we can listen carefully and lovingly to our neighbor in distress. And who is our neighbor? It's that, exactly that. It's whoever's there next to us. And we need to be able to listen to them. And then the, the next step, which I, I call being a hero, is opening doors for them that they can't open for themselves. I'll give an illustration of this, a small illustration. When I lived in Spain, we, we lived almost on the beach. It's a wonderful place to live in the north of Spain, so not a sunny, nice beach like in the south, but we lived almost on the beach. And all of the children had to learn to swim because it was dangerous not to know how to swim there. <laughs> and so all of them wanted to go swimming. But in the winter, it was a little bit cold swimming in the Atlantic. So we used to go to the swimming pool. But the swimming pool had a rule that no children under the age of 12 or 14, I can't remember, could go swimming without an adult accompanying them. And so there were loads of children in our town who desperately wanted to go swimming in the next town, but they couldn't go because their parents were working. And so I became their hero. I opened a door for them. I listened to their what they wanted, I opened a very simple door for them. I went swimming once a week and took about 30 kids with me. <laughs> wow. Now, you know, what would have happened if any of those children had got in trouble? I don't know. But um, I opened a door for them. And any one of us can do that. I mean, that's a, a very practical thing. But it works in spiritual ways too. I've said that I, I, I try and help ministries that have been have met a point of difficulty. Yeah. And um, last well, six weeks, eight weeks ago, we were in Spain, and we met a, a, a long-term missionary. He'd been a missionary most of his adult life, and yet he'd come to a place in his life where he realized he was nearing near retirement age. But as he'd been a missionary his whole, most of his adult working life, he had no pension. Mm -hmm. He had no way of making a living in the future. And now he had deep concerns about how he and his wife would live for the next 10, 20, 30 years, mm. whether they would go back to the States where they didn't have any home or ties because they've been out of there for 30 years, whether they should stay in Spain and what they should do if they stayed in Spain. But um, I was able to spend some time with them. Jean was able to 
help them with some practical issues. And together, we gave him hope. We opened a door for him to have a hope for a better future. And now he's working through some of those ideas that we discussed when we were out there with him. And so, hopefully, I've been a hero for him. I had a couple of pointed questions that I was considering about, and, and maybe you're not comfortable with those, but one of the things I was thinking about is just asking if sometimes missionaries are, places, are sent to places where they're ill-prepared to go, and, and then maybe also asking if sometimes they're abandoned by their sending churches, and if so, why does that happen? That happens. So the second one happens so much, so I can talk all night about that. Okay. The, the, the first question, yes, so often, when I lived in Spain, I was in Spain 17 years, when I was based in Spain, some mission organizations asked me to help some of their new missionaries to get settled in Spain, to yeah. find out what was what. And my experience is that very often, especially coming from the States, Missionaries were very ill-prepared because there seems to be a mentality that Spain is like South America. Okay. And whilst most of South America was cultivated by the Spanish at different times, Mm -hmm. first of all, Spanish people are very insulted if you compare in any way Spain to South America. Oh, and, and secondly, the issue of language was very evident in as much as nearly all American missionaries going to Spain learn Spanish in, in Mexico or New Mexico, uh-huh. a, a part of Texas on the border there. Right. And what they speak there is Mexican. It is not Castellano, which is the language they speak in Spanish, mm-hmm. in Spain. And it is a huge problem. You, do you know the thing Alpha Course? I'm familiar with it. It sounds it's, like, yeah. It's a sort of Episcopalian yeah, evangelistic okay. test and technique, but what does they better to say? Um, when they started in Spain, they obviously had to translate all of their material, and they had it translated, of all places, in Cuba. Mm. And the first time I saw a video I, I thank God I saw the video before I put it on for any Spanish people to see. And because they used a very common South American term for messed up. Mm. And, and the, the word is a word in Spanish. I will not even use this word in Spanish. Mm. And it's basically the F word. Oh. <laughs> and, and, you know, I had to... You know, I was fortunate. I was going to London at the time, and I had to go to London, go to their offices, and say to them, you can't do that. And in the end, I had to raise money in Spain to get a translation of all their videos done in Spanish. Hmm. Because, I mean, it not only would have offended most Spanish people who'd seen, it was just inappropriate. Right. And and so, yeah, there are lots of things. Um, the, the other thing, I don't want to take too long on this, but the <laughs> other thing is when I first went to Spain, I was in the north and I was invited down to Madrid to spend some time with some missionaries in Madrid 
who were going to show me how hard they worked in capital city. So I went down and spent a week with them. I arrived on the Monday, and the Monday was their day off. So we did nothing all day, and there was a prayer meeting at the church where they all attended in the evening, so we went to the prayer meeting, but that was that. Tuesday, one of them was teaching at a language school, and because he knows I'm a, a, an English language teacher, he invited me to come with it. But when I got there, I was told in no uncertain terms, was I even allowed to say that I was a missionary? Mm. And I thought, well, and so, of course, when you're doing teaching English, one of the things you do is introduce yourself and let them introduce themselves and so forth. Um, it led to a wonderful discussion with these people, this class of people. And it really opened some doors, and some of them said that if I was speaking later in the week, they wanted to come to the meetings. The missionary who took me there was so shocked that I'd actually spoken about Jesus. It was... It, it, blew my mind. The next day, they decided to go to the beach. Now, I don't know if you know where Madrid is in Spain, but it's right in the middle. It's like, you know, somebody from Arkansas deciding to go to the Pacific Coast for the day. Right. And yet that's what we did. We all went to the beach for the day. And it was because it's important for the team building and everything else. And when I eventually came back the next day, they took me to a women's meeting, but that's all they did all day. We're talking about a team of three couples, six people. And at the end, they said, well, we, we hope you understand, you know, how hard we're working here and what we're doing for the gospel here. And uh, I must say, I left and prayed the Lord that I'd never meet them again, <laughs> which is probably not very nice of me, but it was honest. <laughs> yeah. And, and so... Later, I was able to work with them and talk with them a bit. Well, what are you doing here? You know, why did you even come? But Spain is a place, if you go to it, it's a wonderful place to waste time. It's a bit, a bit like Germany. If you haven't got a specific thing to do in Germany, it's a great place to waste time. And that's true anywhere in the world. You know, that in your town. Yeah. If you want to waste time, there's, there's loads of ways of wasting time. But it's not preaching the gospel. It's not being a missionary. Um, yeah, so there. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it seems like, if, if I think about the ministries that we've talked about so far, ministering to refugees, ministering, learning how to listen and training other people to listen with compassion, and then also doing the very same thing for missionaries all over the world, it seems like you have a real gifting for that kind of thing. And I'm wondering, over the years, did God reveal that to you all in one time, or how did God reveal that to you? That's difficult. I would say it came to me before I knew that I knew Christ. <laughs> As a child, I was sent to Sunday school, in a Baptist Sunday school, but I wouldn't say that I knew Christ at that time. Mm. Towards the end of my period in school, I was sexually abused mm. as, as a child by a, a teacher. Um, that gave me very definite ideas about sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. 
But at the same time, I had another teacher at school who was a psychologist, and she encouraged me to study psychology because she could see a co-worker for herself. Mm. But when I finished university, I didn't work with her. I went into child abuse. It seemed the best thing for me to get involved with. Mm. Um, I'm very excited that my daughter is now following in my footsteps, working in, in that field herself. But the truth is, psychologists who work in that field get burnt out very, very quickly. You can only work with young children who've been sexually abused for a very short while before it begins to affect you as a person. Mm -hmm. And that happened to me. So I got to the stage where I didn't want to work with the very young children anymore. I mean, for nearly two years, I didn't hug my own children. Mm. Because if you sit and listen to horrific stories about the terrible things that people have done to very, very young children, mm. it, it even changes the way you look at your own children. You want to protect them from that and keep them from that. So I guess it started before I became a Christian. When I became a Christian, it became amplified. Mm. And so now my father-in-law, before he died, my father-in-law said, Keith is a person who looks for lame ducks. And mm. um, I don't look for lame ducks. Lame ducks are people who don't want to get better. I say I look for people who don't know that they can get better <laughs> and I will help them get better. Um, yeah, perhaps it's a gift. I, I think it's communicating to other people how they can help others is what I'm better at. Wow. And I see that as a gift. That's, that's, a, that's a great way to, to, to describe that. We probably need to start wrapping up in just the next minute or two. And okay. I'm wondering, uh, how can we best pray for you? Well, there is a very clear area we need prayer. My wife and I need prayer. And that is we spend all day, every day, nearly, listening to difficult stories mm. from people we have learned to love. And they don't have anybody else to talk to. And the truth is, we have some people that we can talk to. Yeah. But even us have very few people who really understand, and even more, understand that we can't give the details right. of who we're talking to and what we're doing. And that causes all sorts of other problems. So, first of all, we need prayer. We need somebody just to phone us up and talk about the mundane things of life, <laughs> especially my, my wife feels it perhaps more than I do because I've been doing this longer than she has. But it is a real issue. And mm. um, out of that, we need other sorts of support. I'll give you an illustration. Last month, we or the month before last, we took our first holiday in eight years. Mm. Our first time just for ourselves in eight years. My wife and I had never had a honeymoon. This was going to be our honeymoon. We were so excited. 
And yet when we got to the city where we were on holiday, we met a missionary who desperately needed our help. Mm. So we never had a holiday. We never had a honeymoon. Still haven't had it. And sometimes we need people who can just say, come to my house and spend a week and just rest because we need time when we can recuperate too. And when we're there, we need to be able to talk about some of our hard issues too, and mm-hmm. we have them. Out of that comes, I, I, I'm personally, I don't like talking about finances at all, but because we can't talk about what we're doing all the time, a lot of people, including the set church that sent us in the first place, uh, have just stopped supporting us mm. because they assume, because I can't talk about it, that I'm not doing anything. They assume I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, perhaps they think I'm following Bayern Munich football or something. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is I don't like football and I don't like German television, so I won't watch it anyway. <laughs> but, you know, again, it's an issue. And as it's an issue for so many of the people we're trying to help, it's almost a compound issue. Sometimes mm-hmm. we can say, you could do this, we can give them a new strategy. And sometimes we say to them, well, I don't know, we're in the same situation that you're in. We can just pray for one another. So communication is really important. And I'd invite anybody who wants to know more about what we're doing or get involved, communicate with us, write to us, phone us, or, you know, just... Let us know you're there. We will communicate with you. You know, that alone, just talking to people is so important. Yeah. We, we missionaries and ministries, more than anything else, need real friends. Even the pastor of your local church, very often he will feel lonely because he feels he has to put on the show of being the man who knows everything Mm. It's in charge. It's just not so. Yeah. We're real people. Yeah. I think that's the best thing. <laughs> that, that's good. And we, we do need to go ahead and start wrapping up. For those listening, I do want to mention Keith has been very kind to provide some ways to connect with him. And so we'll make sure that all of that is linked up for you in the show notes, which are at engagingmissions.com slash Keith Smith. So if you're driving to work or something like that, don't try to text yourself while you're driving. Just stop by the show notes page and you'll be able to connect with him. Keith, thank you so much for being with us, for sharing your heart and your ministry and what God's done in your life. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. This has just been truly wonderful. Okay, well, thank you, Brian. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, God bless you too and, and all of the listeners. I have today an update from George Patterson, who was a guest of the show back in episode 30. If you're interested in connecting with him, you'll find some links to do that by visiting engagingmissions.com slash George Patterson. So I had sent him a note and about just asking if God had revealed anything to him or things that he'd learned or what God was doing, and he shared back two projects by email. And I'm just going to go ahead and read portions of that to you. The first project is Bible Story Skits. He says that most of the rapidly multiplying home churches around the world have more children than adults. 
and that often worship and teaching is more geared toward the adults and the children are passive. So in order to engage children actively in worship, he's prepared briefly scripted Bible stories about three to five minutes long from Genesis to Revelation. In these skits, everybody has a part. Even those who don't have a script or the tiny tots, they're all echoes that simply repeat a prompter's brief phrases. It allows the adults and the children to participate together. There's no need to memorize lines as the aim is simply to relive sacred events, not to perform. And these scripts will soon be posted on a website, BibleStorySkits.com. So stop by the show notes page to make sure that you don't miss that link. The second project is the translation of his novel, Come Quickly, Don, into Spanish. It shows people bringing a struggling, lifeless church into an active body in obedience to Christ. That results in multiplying many daughter and granddaughter churches amid the attacks that Satan commonly launches against such a work. That will soon be published with Asteroidia Books. So if you're interested in connecting with George Patterson, visit engagingmissions.com slash George Patterson. The link for the Bible Story Skits is biblestoryskits.com. And I will also have a link in the show notes page for Asteroidia Books so that if you're interested, you can check that out. George, if you're listening, thanks so much for sending this. I'm glad to share your update. And finally, to tie a bow on this week's episode, I have for you an app that's intended to help strengthen your life in Christ and allow you to enter into God's plan to reach Muslims around the world. What I'm talking about is an app called Juma Prayer. It's actually a really cool thing. It, it echoes the Friday at noon call to prayer, And it allows you to join with all of those around the world that are interested in praying together that God would reach Muslims. It's an interesting app. It has multiple ways that you can connect, ways that you can learn more, as well as very specific prayer targets for specific people, as well as events and things that are going on. I think that's really worth checking out. That's been made available through the work that Global Initiative is doing. That's the group that we're raising funds for this year. My goal is to raise $4,000 for Global Initiative to do things like take teams to Cuba, make apps like this available, things like that. If you're interested in checking that out, stop by the show notes page. It is available for iOS or Apple products, as well as Android and Windows Phone. So I'll have a link there for you to be able to check that out, download it, check it out, give it a try, and enjoy the opportunity to grow in your faith, to grow in your knowledge, and also to enter into what God is doing to reach Muslims around the world. Thanks to Keith Smith for being with us, to Global Initiative for letting us share their resources, and most of all to you for joining us. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Keith Smith. That's how you can connect with our guest and find links to valuable resources. Make sure you come back next week when we'll be hearing from Matt Hess about walking in humility and the value of discipleship. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe to make sure you don't miss this or any episode. And if you found this valuable, please help us spread the word. You might be the person God uses to create a connection, deepen a relationship, or provide valuable resources as you sow into His kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com 
or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.